0: Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast of Catholic View, as usual, on a Tuesday, I'd like us to focus on education. And today to do that, we'll be talking about a journey in our faith through catechism. And that will be done with Sister Patricia Finn. So do stay with me. But before that as usual I bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Tuesday evening, message for the 51st World Day of Social Communications. African leaders to pick new AU chair at busy summit. And Trump withdraws from TPP and reinstates Mexico City policy on abortion. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis' message for the 51st World Day of Social Communications was released today on the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, patron of journalists. The theme of this year's message is Fear Not, For I Am With You, Communicating Hope and Trust in Our Time. In the message, Pope Francis writes that we have to break the vicious circle of anxiety and stem the spiral of fear, resulting from a constant focus on bad news. The Pope instead called for an open and creative style of communication that never seeks to glamorize evil, but instead to concentrate on solutions and to inspire a positive as well as responsible approach on the part of its recipients. The World Day of Social Communications is celebrated in almost all countries on the Sunday before Pentecost. Moving over to African news, African diplomats, foreign ministers as well as heads of states are at the AU headquarters in Ethiopia for this year's African Union Summit. Some of this year's summit themes include investing in young people, encouraging entrepreneurship and how the AU plans to finance itself. Girom Chala reports.
1: Last year's summit gave focus to women's empowerment. This year, the 28th African Union Summit is convening under the theme harnessing the demographic dividend through investments in youth the africa we live in we live behind for future generations is a better place than the one we found and lived in this is important as we celebrate 2017 as the year of investment in the youth the crown and precondition of our success will be to place our youth young people at the center of Africa's Agenda
0: 2063. One of the key issues at the AU summit is to elect a new chairperson for the African Union Commission. VOA News, Anita Powell reports.
2: AU Commission Chairwoman Nkosazana Dlamini-Zuma is on borrowed time after heads of state extended her term. The hot issue is electing a new chairperson for the African Union Commission. It was postponed last year and really heads of state can't wait another six months to get a consensus. That's uh, top of the agenda. Other issues include stopping the ethnic violence in South Sudan and rescuing the country's crumbling peace process. Also the ongoing humanitarian crises and conflict in Somalia and the Lake Chad Basin. The continuing debate over the International Criminal Court is one area where the new AU chairperson could set the tone, especially as three African countries plan to leave the ICC. There is very limited access to justice in Africa. If, um, if there's a particular president or a senior official who remains in office indefinitely, 20 years, 22 years, in the case of Yahya um where can those victims in those countries seek access to justice. The only place that you could potentially seek access to justice is from the International Criminal Court. The political standoff in The Gambia is over. <laughs> Jame has left. But Open Society campaigner Jagan Gray-Johnson says that there is still unfinished business in the tiny West African nation. And he intends to push the AU to confront Jame's alleged crimes.
3: At some point in time, there has to be consequences for such actions and such attempts at entrenching impunity.
2: And on top of all of this, the AU must decide whether to allow this 54-member body to become 55. Morocco quit in 1984 after the AU recognized the independence of Western Sahara from Morocco. The AU can do with a little help now that Libya, which used to be one of the biggest funders, is no longer supporting the AU. So um, in many ways, um, the AU could benefit from Morocco. but Um, There are many countries who strongly feel that uh, the Western Sahara issue is one of uh, occupation. Um, It needs to be independent. It's an ambitious agenda for the 54-year-old organization and its leaders, who have just days to tackle these many issues. But as the AU has long said, this is about coming up
0: with African solutions to African problems. Toby Lenzer, the UN Regional Humanitarian Coordinator for the Sahel, has warned of a desperate need of aid relief, that is for 11 million people in Nigeria and the Lake Chad region. The crisis has resulted from years of disruption caused by the militant extremist group Boko Haram in parts of Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Cameroon. Here is UN Radio Pen. This was Mr. Lanzer's first New York press conference for the year, and
1: he lamented not having any good news to report. He said 11 million people in the region were in desperate need of humanitarian aid, 7.1 million of whom are living on the edge and surviving on just one meal a day, if that. The 7 million figure includes 515,000 children. Furthermore, he added that Boko Haram activities have displaced 2.5 million people from their homes.
4: The UN, in response to the situation, is working very, very closely. I've been on the ground recently with the authorities of Cameroon, of Chad, of Niger and Nigeria. And we expect to bring together the international community at a conference in Oslo, to take place on the 24th of February, really to shine a light on this terrible tragedy which is unfolding before our eyes across the northeast of Nigeria and the Lake Chad region.
1: Mr. Lanzer also expressed thanks for international efforts that contributed to the recent peaceful transfer of power in the Gambia. He reported that an estimated 45,000 people who had fled the country for
0: neighboring Senegal were now on their way back home. Meanwhile, the death toll from the bombing of a refugee camp by Nigeria's Air Force has climbed to 236. Babagana Malarima, chairman of the Kalabalj Local Government Council of Northeast Borno State, said a total of 234 victims were buried in Ran, where the camp is located, while two others died after being evacuated to the city of Magiguri for medical care. Vatican Radio Lydia O'Kane reports. On January the 17th,
5: Nigeria's Air Force bombed the camp housing Boko Haram refugees near the Cameroonian border multiple times. In a rare admission, Air Force officials said it was an accident and formed a panel of senior officers to investigate.
0: The Metropolitan Catholic Archbishop of Abuja Archdiocese, John Cardinal O'Naiken, has warned that the ongoing killings in southern Kaduna is a dangerous sign Nigeria is ignoring. He said it was unfortunate that some prominent Nigerians and government officials were insisting that the crisis have no religious undertones when that is clearly what is happening. Adama Dieng, U.N.'s expert on genocide prevention, has said that religious and faith-based organizations should be supported in their efforts to sustain peace. N reports from U.N. Radio.
1: We all live in societies made up of people from different ethnicities and faiths, said Mr. Dieng, who addressed the gathering via a video recording. Although this makes for rich communities, he said it can also spark tensions which could fuel conflict and violent extremism and even lead to atrocity crimes or crimes against humanity. And while primary responsibility for conflict prevention lies with states, Mr. Diang said religious and faith-based organizations can also play a
3: part. Religious leaders play an important leadership role and they together with religious and faith-based organizations have a responsibility to contribute to the building of peaceful, inclusive, and cohesive societies that are resilient to conflict, violent extremism and atrocity crimes. They can reach out to and influence large numbers of people, provide support during emergencies, Respond to the needs of marginalized communities, as well as address grievances as soon as they emerge and advocate for the rights of their communities. They are grassroots peacemakers and therefore need our full support in their daily activities to sustain peace.
1: Mr. Dieng said that a UN plan of action on the role of religious leaders in preventing incitement to violence that could lead to atrocity crimes will
0: be launched in the coming months. Further afield, the U.S. President Donald Trump has signed an executive order formally withdrawing the country from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, otherwise known as the TPP Trade Deal, and has also signed a directive banning U.S. non-governmental organizations that perform abortions abroad from receiving federal funding. Simon Marks reports from Washington.
3: Killing the Trans-Pacific Partnership was one of the pledges Donald Trump made on the campaign trail. And at the White House, he signed an executive order to fulfill it. Great thing for the American worker, what we just did. The president's move will bitterly disappoint America's trading partners in Asia. Singapore's prime minister recently warned the US would be finished in the region if it failed to make good on President Obama's promise.
0: Cardinal Timothy Dolan has welcomed President Donald Trump's executive order reinstating the Mexico City policy. Cardinal Timothy said it's a welcome step toward restoring and enforcing important federal policies that respect the most fundamental human right, the right to life as well as the longstanding bipartisan consensus against forcing Americans to participate in the violent act of abortion. Meanwhile, the White House says President Donald Trump will meet with Mexican President Enrique Nieto Pina for talks on immigration and renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement. Here is Vatican Radio's James Blair's.
4: President Donald Trump has just cancelled U.S. participation in the Trans-Pacific Partnership at the stroke of a pen, initialing an executive order. Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto is hoping he won't do the same to the North American free trade agreement, which Trump insists must be renegotiated to give the U.S. a fairer shake. Putting a brave face on a shudderingly bleak scenario south of the border, Pena Nieto says solutions lie in dialogue and negotiations, not confrontations or submission. But he's also warning that Mexico will indeed defend her national interests, firmly believing in bridges, not walls. He's seeking firm and sincere commitments from the United States to respect the free flow of money sent home by Mexicans working north of the border, plus discussions about security, migration and combating drugs. These are certainly ambitious hopes, plus plans for a new dawn following the Mexican President's visit to Washington next Tuesday. The reality with which he could return home might well signal an altered horizon, thus perspective, dividing near neighbours.
0: And finally, Pope Francis has named the 72-year-old Fernando Ocariz Brana the prelate of Opus Dei. The Pope confirmed the election of the third elective congress of the prelature on the same day. Until yesterday, he was the auxiliary vicar of Opus Dei. Now he becomes the third successor of Saint José María at the head of the prelature, following the death of Javier Echavaria on December 12th. And those were your headlines this Tuesday evening. I'm Shayla Pirsch. Thank you once again for joining me this Tuesday evening. You are listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, coming to you on 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet. Coming up next in the broadcast, I'd like us to look at education, not just any education, but Catholic education. Sister Patricia Finn, FMA, heads the Catechetics' Desk under the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference, the SACBC. And in this interview, she'll be talking about churning in our faith through catechism. Sister Patricia Finn begins by talking about her role in the Catechetics' Department.
5: My task is not directly involved in every individual diocese. We, we We have diocesan coordinators who do that. And they also look at the issue of formation and training of catechists who need to be formed and trained. It's up to every diocese to structure their catechism. And I know that by now, most of the parishes have already begun registration. And catechists, if they didn't begin last week, I'm sure they're beginning by this week. And so catechists use the material that they have available. So it's up to the coordinator of catechesis in the parish to see that that is well organized. Now the coordinator must see if the catechist has the facility where they're going to teach, they need to see that they have the materials that they are going to use.
0: Sister, let's talk about the importance of catechism. When should parents introduce their little ones for catechism?
5: If you go according to um, children coming, can you say for um, the systematic okay introduction to catechism, we normally suggest that when the children begin in grade one, that is the same time that the parents would involve them. That it would almost be the compulsory moment to begin. But there are many parishes who also have catechesis for the smaller children. So, for example, when they four to five years of age, they begin to bring them. But the systematic catechesis where parents register their children would really be in grade one. So in a Catholic environment, it is the parents who would be introducing their children to God, they would be speaking to them about Jesus, they'd be teaching them to make the sign of a cross, they'd be praying before and after meals, they would be evening prayer, night prayer before they go to sleep, and they would be bringing them to Mass on a Sunday. So when children have been deprived of this, and they begin catechism classes, as we call it, at the age of six or seven, there's already a huge gap in the life of the children. So what we try to encourage parents, and this this is part of when parents come to preparation for infant baptism, you know, and it's to say to the parents, you have chosen to have your child baptized. And one of the questions that is asked of parents is, Do you promise to bring your child up in the practice of the faith? So we need to explain to parents what we mean by the practice of the faith. It's these constant things that distinguish a Catholic family. And so sometimes I feel that parents are not being helped. Um, There's no um, place for them to meet or to discuss when the children are small. This only happens once they are in grade one and start coming. And then you'll find that the parents are very interested in the children receiving sacraments. That, that seems to be the, the biggest desire of parents. So what you also find, and we're finding it more and more, is that children may only be coming to catechism at the age of eight or nine or perhaps ten because the parents want them to make their First Holy Communion. So then the gap is even bigger, and these children are really missing out on a foundation for their faith. Because ultimately the faith is taught by parents, they are the first teachers, the catechist is only assisting parents, but sometimes we get get the story back to front, and so the parents bring the children to catechism and they say, this is your responsibility and you need to prepare my child. There's a whole education that needs to be done.
0: That's so true, sister. We often find parents, like you've said, bringing in their children when they approach that age of nine, ten, where they think, okay, it's time for my child to receive First Holy Communion, so let's introduce them to catechism classes. And I like the fact that you mentioned that catechism begins at home. But now still speaking of that... We find that, you know, you go through your catechism education, you, have, you are baptized, you receive your First Holy Communion, you do your Confirmation, and after that you find that lots of people just stay in a, a sort of like limbo. There's no mm-hmm. more catechism classes to attend because the next step is either religious life or marriage. Now, what would you say to people once they are confirmed, and not just the young adults, but you find lots of grown-ups that lack when it comes to church ministry, when it comes to understanding what is the Catholic Church about, or when it comes to understanding catechism as a whole. Like you've mentioned, parents sometimes don't know how to help their children, how to teach their children. Um, It's all about
5: the changing of a mindset. And the mindset that we need to change is that, we do not come to catechism or we do not ask to be catechized in preparation for a sacrament. So what we have to try to begin to instill in people, and it's going to take a long time, is that as Catholics, from the moment that you're baptized, you are on a journey of faith and of conversion. And this journey never ends, which means that our whole life long we are learning more about our faith and we are coming closer and closer to the lord jesus so when we we look at the the mind of the church at the moment in what comes out in the documents is that our main aim in catechizing is to bring people to a relationship with jesus so when we say a young person has been coming for 12 years they've been confirmed and now they leave the church. The question we need to ask is, but did we introduce them to Jesus? Is Jesus a very special person in their lives? Have they encountered this Jesus who accompanies them on their life? And, and it's a very difficult thing because we have grown up with the idea catechism equals the time we're at school. So it's like a graduating ceremony. I'm confirmed. I've got my certificate to prove that I've been initiated into a Catholic church. I don't need to do anything more about it. So our whole outlook on catechism, the whole education of the Christian community needs to be that we are always journeying on our faith. And I think one way in which we can be enriched even if we just look at the church's liturgical year. I mean, if you take within six weeks, we're going to be giving Lent. Now, if we really put our heart and our soul into Lent, that is a period of conversion. And that is a period of turning away from sin, coming closer to Jesus. So, it's not not just the learning, it's not just the knowledge, but it's what is my prayer life like? How do I live out the liturgy? You know, do I just go to Mass because I have to? Or I don't bother to go to Mass? It's too much of a bother. So there's this whole, it's a holistic approach that we're having to look at. But we're having to overcome years and years and years of, for example, question and answer. What was the most important thing was to know your faith. But we're not saying we don't need to know your faith, but we need to live our faith. And and our faith needs to needs to give us something, it needs to, to fill our inmost desire. We need to want you know, to be in communion with God. We need to want to pray, to read scripture. Ay, that's a long journey.
0: So, Sister, what would be your advice for grown-ups, grown-ups who have, like you said, said to themselves, well, I've done my confirmation, I have the certificate, now I can just chill back, relax, and go to Mass on Sundays, fulfill my obligation as a Christian to go to Mass on a Sunday, and then that's it. What would you say to such grown-ups? How can we learn more about our faith? How, what, what should we be doing in order to continue that Christian life, that Catholic life?
5: Well, first of all, people have to show an interest that they want to. So if we take, for example, in the Archdiocese of Johannesburg, we've got that process that is called a new, And that is a means for people to be joining into small uh, prayer groups mm, around, the, around their parish where they meet once a week and they read scripture, they pray, they have outreach programs. Um, that, I think, is one way in helping adults to understand that they're on an ongoing journey. Or there are people who perhaps meet once a week and they prepare the Sunday readings. They reflect on the readings. They pray together. Or we have groups in a parish who maybe come together to pray the rosary. So we need to be open to involving ourselves in something outside of what is just the Sunday Mass. But you cannot force people to do this. Now this is, <laughs> this is kind of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One, one good way in which we can do this is, for example, when children are coming to catechism, is to find that at least, at least once a year, catechists can meet with the parents of the children that they're teaching. And in that way we can pass on the message to the parents this is what you need to do. Now, there's a new there's a new confirmation program that is coming out. For, I hope it will be ready within the next week. And part of the strategy that we've done is the young people are going to have their own workbook. And the one page is going to be the page they need in the class, but the other page is going to be what we call the activity sheet. And we're encouraging the categories to ask the young people to take that activity sheet, to take the book home and to do the activity together with their families. So it's not a homework for the young people, but the aim, the ultimate aim is that the parents begin to see what the young people are learning and that they begin to take an interest in the catechism of their children. And that is another way that they can start deepening their own faith and their own understanding of their faith. So we have to challenge parents. We, we have to work together with them in communion with them. And they have to come to the party as well. Because I know you say, you can bring the donkey or the horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. So yeah. is Constantly um, appealing to parents and asking parents to be more involved in the religious formation of their children. So if we think, for the example, when children are being prepared for the sacrament of reconciliation, where does that begin? It begins in the home. If the children witness parents asking forgiveness of one another, if the parents explain to the children what it means to say, I'm sorry, and to be forgiven, at, at, in a reality of a family, then the children can understand better what it means to ask God for forgiveness. So somehow you can involve parents in this sacrament of reconciliation. And we, we really need to, to create moments where parents can come, and sometimes parents need to be reconciled to the church, and sometimes we need to help parents to themselves receive the sacrament of reconciliation. Because it's no good saying to the child, you must go to confession. But I don't. And you know, it's the same with the celebration of the Eucharist. If in the home there are never celebrations, when the family never comes together to celebrate an event, it's very difficult for the children, or they're small, to understand what it means to celebrate the Eucharist. So that begins in the home. And there again, we need to make the effort now to involve the parents in the First Communion of their children. So that is not just something that happens within the church, but it's something that happens at home. And then we link the family, our, our blood family, to our spiritual family, which is the parish. But one catechist can't do that. This has to be a mentality that has been given over in the sermons, when we talk to parents, to make them aware that they are responsible for the religious formation of their children. And and when we're dealing with adults who are coming to the faith, you know, the same, we, we cannot rush the process because these people have to be converted to the idea that this is a journey for life. And so, we have to get them involved in the parish, we have to try to get them, you know, to to be part of some some group or some ministry because that is what gives us the strength in maybe our own space is weakening. But it's a it's a huge I, I firmly believe that one of the most difficult tasks or ministries in the church is actually that of catechism. Because we never stop.
0: Is there anything new that's happening in terms of catechism throughout the year of 2017 in the region?
5: Yes, this year we will be launching the new confirmation program. So it should, have, it should have been ready but you know there have been delays whatever, but we're hoping that by the end of January the books are going to be printed and then people can place their orders and catechists can begin already with the lessons. They, I, I have supplied them already with you know, just copies of the lessons that they can already begin.
0: Well, Sister, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and also being reminded of our roles as parents towards our children's religious education, Catholic education, if one can put it that way. Thank you so much for your time. Any last words before I let you go?
5: Well, I think the last word would just be that, you know, it would be in my hope that parents, will begin to become much more involved in the faith development of their children.
0: I'd like to thank once again Sister Patricia Finn, FMA, who heads the Catechetics' Desk under the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference, (SACBC) for talking to us about the importance of catechism in our lives. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for your support. Remember that this program is produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, do enjoy the rest of your evening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.